Feminist millennials are now marrying themselves. Yes, or Bob, or Bobette. It's a new feminist trend in which lonely, bitter women who have wasted their lives on careers instead of relationships dress up in white and invite friends to a ceremony in which they commit themselves to live in holy matrimony with themselves. The process is called sologamy, from the Latin word meaning more pathetic than the human heart can bear, yet strangely comical in a cruel sort of way. A website dedicated to self-marriage is selling a kit for $230 that offers help planning your own self-wedding ceremony, as well as self-wedding rings, daily affirmation cards, and of course, personalized engraved suicide notes. The website's founder, <laughs> J.P. Smarmy, says, quote, if I can make a few bucks off the wasted lives and misery of feminists who found out too late that everything they believe in is wrong, well, sign me up. At one recent sologamy ceremony, newly self-married feminist Susan Screamy offered a toast to the assembled guests who included her broken alcoholic mother, several stuffed animals, and a book about Disney princesses she hides under her mattress and only takes out at night. Mrs. Screamy, formerly Miss Screamy, said in her toast, quote, Thanks to feminism, I have never had a deeper or more important relationship than the one I have with myself. And I am so happy that myself and I finally overcame our fears and decided to get married. It's true that myself and I have occasionally had some troubles. Sometimes I find myself controlling and domineering, but then I tell myself that that's sort of a turn on for me. But then I accuse myself of just wanting to keep me pregnant and in the kitchen and I shout back at myself, don't kid myself. I really love that. So stop complaining. Sure, once or twice things got out of hand and I had to call the police, but ultimately I decided to stand by myself and I told the cops that I got my black eye when I bumped into the door. Since then, myself and I have been in couples therapy and we're making great strides toward a fuller relationship. Mrs. Screamy ended her toast by raising her glass and giving a hearty cry of please kill me, I'm so lonely, after which she was carried from the hall in tears while the guests enjoyed champagne and vanilla cake, despite the fact that most of them were plush toys. <laughs> Another feminist who has decided to practice sologamy told her psychiatrist and the other patients in her group, quote, feminism taught me that I would be oppressed if I ended up doing menial chores that expressed my love for a husband and children who cherished me. So instead, I have a career doing menial chores for a corporation and boss who wouldn't notice I was gone if I was run over by a truck. So I'm marrying myself so I can finally devote myself to someone who cares enough about me to at least despise me. <laughs> Unquote. As cruel. Feminist journals celebrated the new trend of sologamy, saying it brings feminism to its natural conclusion, namely solitude, sterility, and despair. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this may well be the Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky dunky, life is tickety boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky dunky Ship shaped, dipsy topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray! Oh, hooray, hurrah! What sort of cruel, heartless man would laugh? 
story like that. That is a true story. I got it off our own wonderful website, The Daily Wire, one of our best writers, if she's not our best writer, Amanda. I call her Amanda Presto. That's what she calls herself on Twitter. And I can't pronounce her real name, which is Prestigiacomo, right? Prestigiacomo? I I don't know. But Amanda Presto, she's just a a wonderful writer, and she has such a condensed sense of humor. She can really just put in a couple of lines and make it funny. That was not her article. That was my my travesty of her article. It's mailbag day. It is mailbag day, and we will answer all your questions. Answers guaranteed 100% correct, and they will change your life. And oh no, what will happen then? But first, <laughs> we have to talk about Blue Apron, which will also change your life and guaranteed for the better, because this is a way for you to bring restaurant-level meals into your own home. It's, it's home cooking, but the food they give you is just, the, the food and the recipes they give you just create these restaurant-level meals. I've been eating it. It really is something else. It's the number one fresh ingredient, ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Its mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. And as I say, they call it home cooking, but it's not what you think of as home cooking. It really is fancier. It's meals like beef teriyaki stir fry with sugar snap peas and lime rice. I mean, that's not what I think of as home cooking. That's what I think. I go to a restaurant for that. Baked spinach and egg <coughs> flatbread with sauteed asparagus and lemon aioli, three cheese and baby broccoli stromboli with tomato and oregano dipping sauce, crispy salmon and roasted potato salad with pickled mustard seeds and creme fresh sauce. If it sounds good, it really is good and what they do is they send they can deliver just about anywhere in the country and they send you the ingredients very simple recipe and you get to cook you know you actually get to cook it in the kitchen following the recipe and they give you you don't have to measure everything out because they give you just the, the right amount that you need so you know your family can be together and cook and be in the kitchen and then eat this incredible meal and it really is affordable meals these restaurant level meals are less than ten dollars per person per meal and and This week's menu, if you check out this week's menu, you can get your first three meals for free with free shipping. I wish, you see, if our our audience had the level of intelligence of Shapiro's audience, they would just immediately (laughs) go on. But, you know, I understand. You know, you're listening to this show, so you're going like, free food? Do I want that? Yes, you want the free food. Go to blueapron.com slash Andrew, and you will get free the first three meals free with free shipping. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Go to blueapron.com slash Andrew. Blue Apron, it's a better way to cook. So... Everyone is now yelling at me. I I went home yesterday at lunchtime and I said to my wife, everyone on all sides is screaming at me. And she said, so you're doing your usual thing. (laughs) I guess guess it's me. It's not you. It's me. Uh, One of our listeners, Jason York, sent this picture in. (laughs) I love it. This is is the, if you can't see it, it's that meme. Remember the dog drinking coffee saying this is fine in a burning building? This is me drinking coffee surrounded by dogs, including a, a dog from a Trump-supporting dog and a resistance dog and a media dog and a feminist dog <laughs> with the feminist hat on. And they're all screaming at me, and I'm saying, this is fine. So that's that's kind of my life at this point. At this, So let's let's go on. The siege of, of Donald Trump continues. The siege, it's, the, it's the media state Democrat siege against Donald Trump. Poor, lonely, the poor, lonely Donald, which makes it makes it very hard to feel sorry for him, but we'll try. We'll try a little bit to feel sorry for him. The latest scandal, you know, it's funny because 
you have to report on these things. I, I, I remember opening this week by talking about spending the night with a woman who was a congenital liar and how toward the end of the night you started to believe her because you just couldn't believe they would lie about everything. So I, I don't and I don't believe they, the press lies about everything. I just believe it has become impossible to tell what a lie is. The latest story, and this is the story, is a guy who says he's a friend of Comey and the reporter tells us he's a friend of Comey, but we have no way of knowing him called the New York Times and read them what they said was a memo that Comey wrote after a meeting with Donald Trump saying Trump had asked him to lay off Michael Flynn because he was a good guy. Yeah, I hope you can let this pass. I think that were his words, okay? So, so you know, that, that's, a, that's a very serious thing. It, it, it depends how he did it. You know, if he said, oh, you know, the guy's a great guy. I hope, I hope we can get past this. That's one thing. If he said, you know, hey, I'm the president. Get, get over. Don't investigate my friend Michael Flynn. That, of course, is a, a total other thing. And it may never have happened. And this is one of the things I want to talk about is the way these scandals, these, these so-called scandals are pile up. We start to assume each one is true, and even if we debunk one, it still creates this atmosphere of panic, and that that this whole place is blowing up. And of course, Trump, you know, doesn't help himself because, as I've, I said about Trump, that he is a man who does seem capable of learning. But the one thing he doesn't seem capable of learning how to do is shut up, you know, because the Republicans, the Republicans are running for their life. Here's Brett Baer yesterday saying he can't get anybody on the phone, even from the president's own party. The calls now on the Hill for if there are tapes, to hear them, to see the transcripts, uh, to have Comey testify. Uh, they are going to increase. We have, we've tried tonight to get Republicans to come out and talk to us and there are not uh, Republicans willing to go on camera tonight uh, as of yet. And we'll see if that changes. Does this story, before we confirm all of it, if it's confirmable, change the dynamic on Capitol Hill? I think it does. <laughs> so, so, Brett, you gotta you gotta stick the microphone under the bed where the Republicans are hiding. You can't just walk around Capitol Hill because you can't find them anymore. And look, I, you know, I can't. The Republicans tend to be like abused children. They've been hit by the press so long and so hard that they're like, oh, don't don't wake up, Daddy, because you know he gets mad. So they they are they are the, a cowardly bunch. But. It's hard to blame them because every time they come out and say, oh, Trump didn't do it, or they echo a Trump denial, Trump then sends out a tweet saying, well, I did do it, but I did it for a good reason or whatever. And he just makes them look bad. So they don't want to be the guy. Nobody wants to be the guy to step forward in front of the camera. The White House denied the report. They said nothing untoward happened. But. No, na- no name was attached to that. So it's like it's just like a, like they made it into a paper airplane, just threw it out the window of the White House and hopefully hit somebody. So we're now looking at several different scenarios. OK, I can I can count a bunch of different scenarios, but let, let's take a look at some of them. One is the the deep state and the media and the Democrats are basically besieging the president, trying to destroy him. That's number one Two. Trump is an utterly Nixonian figure. The Trump is Hitler thing is pretty close to the truth. And basically, these are patriots saving the country from you know destruction. Three is that Trump is on a steep learning curve. He doesn't know what he's doing. He thinks it's like, you know, he doesn't understand yet that his words now carry the weight of a missile. You know, they carry the force of a missile. He's the president of the United States. He, he's a bumbler. He's kind of, you know, John Puthartz wrote in the New York Post today. Right now, the very best you can say about Donald Trump is that he's still 
stinks at this whole president thing, in large part because he keeps creating trouble for himself and entirely on his own. And he goes on and says, yes, the media are against him and the Democrats want to scout, but everyone inclined to indulge Trump in his self-pity about how he's being badly treated by others in Washington and badly served by his own staff is ignoring the basic facts of the political situation he is bungling at present like no one has bungled before. So that's another uh, possibility that he's just a bungler. And then a fourth possibility, of course, is a combination that the press the deep state and the um, Democrats are all have gone insane and are basically trying a slow motion assassination of this president. And and Trump is in some way contributing to that. And of course, I think that that, you know, that I think is obviously some somewhere along there is the truth. I mean, somewhere somewhere along Trump is not handling this well. He has left the GOP. He's making a speech this morning at the uh, Coast Guard graduation ceremony. And, you know, he's, there's a little self-pity involved, but also a little a triumphalism. Listen to what he says. Over the course of your life, you will find that things are not always fair. You will find that things happen to you that you do not deserve and that are not always warranted. But you have to put your head down and fight, fight, fight. Never, ever, ever give up. Things will work out just fine. Look at the way I've been treated lately. Especially by the media. No politician in history, and I say this with great surety, has been treated worse or more unfairly. You can't let them get you down. You can't let the critics and the naysayers get in the way of your dreams. I guess that's why I won. Thank you. I guess that's why we won. <laughs> no politician in history has ever been treated worse. I mean, I'm thinking Lincoln, like first one half of the country left. <laughs> you know? That was that was bad. You know, that, that, was, that was bad. You know, and then they blew his head off. You know, it also can put a dent in your day. You know, I mean, so so I mean that. But but I like the fight, fight, fight part. I think that's that's kind of the the right tone to set. And he does have to uh, go. You know, strike back against these guys. But you know, yesterday as I. I made it clear what everybody is yelling at me about is I, I do think that Trump has bumbled and fumbled things and all this. And I do think it I'm willing at this point to attribute it to a, a learning curve. You know, I don't think he's been trying to shut down investigations or anything like that. But I really do think the greater danger comes from not not the press. See, everybody keeps saying, oh, you know, you're blaming the media, blaming the media is so old. We know the media is left wing. Get over it. Get over it. That's not the problem. That is not the problem. It's the combination of the media, the Democrats, and the state leaking on this guy. Let me show you. First, I got to say goodbye. Unfortunately, I got a really good clip to show you, a really interesting clip that says exactly what I want to say. But you've got to come over to thedailywire.com if you want to hear it. And while you're at thedailywire.com, you should subscribe for a lousy eight bucks a month. You can be in the mailbag. All your problems will be solved. Here's the reason why, and I, I'm, I don't feel that I've made any excuses for Trump, although I do feel there's something about the way these stories are being 
churned out without being proved and as each one fades away and becomes less consequential you know there's just a new one to take its place so it's creating this atmosphere of hysteria that I do not feel is warranted at all I think that that is the problem and when Trump adds to that he really endangers his agenda and he scares off the Republicans but but what really worries me what really worries me is the acceptance of the fact by our media who are supposed to be the watchdogs of our freedom ha 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 right the acceptance of the fact that the state and the intelligence services are allowed to wage war on the president like this if that memo to Comey is true and i'm going to talk about this whole thing about assuming things are true but if it's true why didn't Comey report it that's a that's a impeachable offense by law he has to report that to somebody He's got to report it to the Justice Department. And there's no uh, sense that he did that at all. So even if even if that memo is real and Comey wrote it down, you know, the real question is, why didn't he report that? That's that is something you must, must, must report. But here is Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat, kind of, I think, a a moderate, more or less moderate Democrat. He's on Tucker Carlson last night and he's on the uh, Intel Committee and Carlson is saying to him, shouldn't we be handling everything is Russia, Russia, Russia? Shouldn't we be handling the business of the country? Listen to this response from Manchin. Everything that we're talking about now is the result of leaks, presumably by people who work for Donald Trump, career employees, I would bet, who are leaking this stuff and basically making it impossible to govern. Well, my the recommendation would be this. First of all, I have been out to to, to um, visit all of our intel sites. Right and meet with a lot of our intel people. They're the best in the world. They need to have some type of a correlation, a relationship, a dialogue. The president needs to patch this up. We've got the best, and we have people basically, our allies around the world, Tucker, that have gone to battle with us. They have fought with us. They have died. Wait, I'm, I'm confused. Are you suggesting that Trump is getting leaked on and is basically unable not to govern? govern. You're yeah. saying he needs to I would think create a personal relationship with the people who work at the Intel companies. I think basically respect. These are professionals. They really are. But even if he doesn't respect them or like them, they still work for him. And civilian control of government suggests well, they should do what he asks or leave, right? Isn't that the way it works? Well, you can take it that, but these are career, uh, these are career professionals. Huh? I mean, did I fall asleep while the democracy died? You know, <laughs> well, as the Washington Post would say, democracy died in darkness. Didn't die in darkness. It was right on Tucker Carlson's show. The guy is saying, you know, he's got to make nice to the intelligence services. And Carlson quite rightly says, why? They, they serve him. What, what, when on earth did the civilian control of government disappear and it become all right to the Democrat Party? That's insane. That is absolutely insane. And it's not only that. I mean, here's... Also on Carlson Show, a good show yesterday, he had on Stephen Cohen, who's a Russia expert. He writes for The Nation, which is a lefty mag. I don't think Cohen, I think Cohen himself is more middle of the road. But but listen to what he has to say. If you had asked me a few days ago, what's the number one threat to the United States today? I would have said international terrorism. I don't know if you agree, Tucker, but it's certainly up there. Today, I would say it's this assault on President Trump uh, because it's been going on a year. And can we be clear, what he's being accused of is treason. 
This has never happened in America, that there's a Russian agent in the White House. And we've had a whole array of allegations from Putin helped him get in the White House to his associates are doing wrong things with Russians, that Flynn did something wrong in talking, uh, his former national security advisor did something wrong with talking to the Russian ambassador. There's no evidence that there was any wrongdoing. And indeed, Flynn should have talked to the Russian ambassador. That was his job. So this is beyond belief now and has become, by this I mean this assault on Trump and his loyalty, this has become a national security threat to us in itself. That's, that is absolutely right. That is absolutely true. And the thing is, this is not, it's not that I only consider it a bigger threat than anything Donald Trump has done. Anything that I've seen him do or even been, I mean, obviously not everything he's been accused of because he's been accused of everything if he's really a Russian spy. I mean, our relationship with Russia and the tank because of his tough actions against them. So I just can't buy that story at all. But this is a greater threat because it is an undemocratic force of the deep state essentially attacking the guy who was duly elected according to the rules. Now, I also consider it a threat because of who they are, by the way. The New York Times and the Democrat Party are not, they don't even support the First Amendment. And when I say that, I am not exaggerating. The New York Times over that Citizens United uh, decision that says that corporations, if you form a corporation, you don't lose your right to free speech. The New York Times has actually argued that no, 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 only press corporations get free speech. You know, we get free, our corporation, the New York Times Corporation gets free speech because we're the press, but not any corporation, not corporations we disagree with. When did that start? When did people we disagree with get to have free speech? And, and they're backed up by people on the Supreme Court, like Justice Breyer, who do not believe the First Amendment. They, they have written this. They do not believe the First Amendment guarantees an individual's right to free speech, your right, my right to sit here and do what I'm doing. They do not agree. If they think that it is harmful to the polity, they believe that they should be able to shut us down. They believe in hate speech rule laws and things like that. All the stuff that gets you arrested in Britain, say, or France, when you say, hey, maybe something is wrong with this house of Islam, and they cart you off so that the quiet invasion can continue. You know, this is the thing. If, if Trump is being a bozo. And I think there's evidence that Trump on occasion, well, more than on occasion, the guy has a big mouth and he ought to knock it off, you know? If, but if Trump is a bozo, this is bozo versus Satan, you know? I'm for bozo, you know? It's like, I'm sorry. It's like, I, if, if that's a problem, you know, look, I, I don't want to support, I don't even support everything Trump does in the important stuff, the, you know, the stuff that he actually wants to do legislatively and all this. And he certainly has not got the legislative agenda moving at the speed he should be able to get it moving. And some of that is his fault. Some of that is the Congress's fault. But again, again, where is the danger to my freedom coming from? And, you know, for all the people on the right, and there are a lot of them who are kind of enjoying this because they feel that it proves them right. I said, I said you shouldn't vote for uh, Trump. I said, see, and this is this. I just want you to think back for a minute. I mean, Jonah Goldberg, who I love, one of the best writers on the on the right, no question about it. And he said, I mean, he's tired of people bringing up Gorsuch when they defend Trump. Gorsuch, Gorsuch, that's all he's done. All he's done that's good is Gorsuch. I just want you to think back for a minute to the day Antonin Scalia died. Think back to how you felt when you got that news, because I know the way I felt. And I, I am a very solid citizen who really doesn't take things hard. I felt, uh-oh, that may be it. That may, we may lose the country on that. 
And now that threat is over and I'm supposed to stop bringing that up, I'll never stop bringing that up. I'm going over to Jonah's house. He's going to open the door. I'm going to be, hey, Jonah, guess what? You know, we don't have, we do not have a lefty taking over the Scalia seat. So these are where I see the threats. And I just think, you know, when you look back, I have to say this before I go to the mailbag. Each, each thing comes up, and this is the way it works. Each story comes up. A guy calls the New York Times, says he's a friend of Comey's. Obviously, the reporter knows him, and he's vouch- the reporter is vouching for him, but they lie, you know, and they make mistakes. We don't, we don't know who this guy is. He says, I'm reading you a memo. No one has seen this memo. No one in the press has seen this memo. So every time this gets reported, you think, well, yeah, it was not just in the Times. It was in the Wall Street Journal. They haven't seen the memo either. It was on the in the front page of the New York Post. They haven't seen the memo. No one has seen this memo, okay? So so it's just a guy, it's not and we don't think it's Comey. They didn't if they didn't say it's Comey, it's a guy who will not come forward and say his name is reading a memo. In the old days this wouldn't even have been journalism, okay? So now we get all excited and what everybody says is, well if true, if true, this is a serious if true, if true. So this is what we get, right? So Trump fires Comey and the guy and they start to scream, oh, it's a Russian conspiracy. And one after another, you know, echoes this. One after another media outlet echoes this Russian conspiracy conspiracy to stop the Russia investigation. And then you know, you're called on to be on a panel and you say, Well, if true, that's very serious. If true, that's very So a couple of days go by and after a while you start to think like that doesn't make any sense because Comey's not running the Russia investigation. Comey's running the bureau. I mean, these guys who are running the Russia investigation are still there. And Andrew McCabe, who is now running the bureau, comes out and says, no, there, there's been no attempt to, uh, you know, wrong foot this investigation. But by now, you've got the next story has come up down the line, right? Now it's that Trump has given... Uh, you know, classified information to the Russians in this meeting with the Russian ambassador. And now you've got the experts on TV, whether they agree or not. If, well, if true, if true, that's very, it's very serious. If true, it's very serious. If true. And then a couple of days go by and you think like, well, on the Daily Wire today, you can see five times this happened to Obama. When this happened to Obama, you know, remember the film? I and mean, here's what I know about because I remember movie stuff. Uh, that film Zero Dark Thirty came out. And Peter King, the uh, congressman from New York, said, you know, this is revealing classified information. So we just just play a little bit of this. Here's Matt Lauer interviewing Peter King about that accusation that the, that the Obama administration is virtually the same thing. Obama administration leaked highly classified, dangerous information to these filmmakers to make themselves look better. So it's a very Trumpian thing to have done. Just listen to Matt Lauer's tone in interviewing King about this. Leaks happen all the time in Washington. We know that. It's like a sieve. Do you think this was an intentional leak to paint the Obama administration in the best possible light? Are you willing to take that leap of faith? I, I believe that they were trying to make the Obama administration look good, and I think the mistakes were made. Now, let me say, I was on your show the day after the raid. I give President Obama all the credit for this. He deserves tremendous credit for that raid. I know people in the Situation Room who told him not to go ahead with it, and he did it anyway. This is, this is nothing to do with President Obama. What about your motivation? Had it been a Republican president who was in office at the time Osama bin Laden was yeah, killed... Around. So, so leaks happen all the time. It leaks. Happen. What about your motivation, Congressman? You know, it's like, it's like it's a totally different thing. Now play, now play the the reaction. This is basically CNN and MSNBC. This is a little montage of the way they're handling. No, it's not this one. It's the one. Uh, oh, yeah, um, this is the how they're handling the new Comey story. Are you suggesting that President Trump should face impeachment? 
No, I'm not suggesting um, that. Uh, Congressman, what is your case for impeachment? Evil, but now we're talking impeachment. Do you think this is a bridge too far? Explain, yeah. What do you think of this impeachment possibility? What's new, more needed to prove obstruction of justice than the president fires the guy coming after him after asking him to drop the case? What more do you need? Uh, is that the impeachment is the remedy. I mean, the president can't... It's the only remedy. Yeah, there's growing talk, at least, about impeachment within your party. Uh, you have Congresswoman Maxine Waters, you have Congressman Al Green, Congress, uh, Congresswoman um, Tulsi Gabbard, all, all talking about impeachment for this president. Uh, you heard Jeffrey Tubin say it would be an obstruction of justice, and potentially, as you know, Senator, that could be impeachable. That could be an impeachable offense. If true. If true. It's, if true, right? Well, let me ask you this. What if, if not true? If not true, the New York Times just accused the president of the United States of trying to stop an investigation, and it's not true. Okay, what if not true? What if what if Trump didn't fire Comey to stop the Russia thing? What if his leak of information was not unprecedented in any way? It was typical, kind of typical of what happens in Washington. We heard from Matt Lauer, leaks happen all the time. So what if, if not true? I mean, that attitude, that thing of if true is part of what gins up the hysteria. And yes, does Trump mishandle it by tweeting? Yes, he does. He no question that he does. But this thing about if true, if true, it is to it is a purposeful thing being done by the state through the media with the help of the Democrats. And it is the danger to the polity. It is the danger that we feared from a Hillary Clinton election. And I'm old enough to remember when the Democrats said to challenge the legitimacy of an election was an appalling, terrible thing to do. You know, I mean, I can I can think way, way back. What was that like October? You know, I mean, like that's when they were saying that. And now suddenly I don't I, I don't know changed since then, but suddenly their opinions have suddenly changed. You know, there's a wonderful piece by Molly Hemingway, and I'll end with this, uh, on how to read these stories. And she goes through a list of all the stories that were wrong in the last few days. This is just the last few days. Uh, Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, threatened to resign. That wasn't true. Uh, then after uh, FBI Director James Comey requested more resources from the Justice Department. McCabe said that wasn't true. She goes on and on and on, and she talks about the fact that when there is an active shooting situation, there is a, a guide that reporters pass around that tells them how to deal with the fact that all this information is flying around, and they, and they don't know, you know, they, they can't tell what, what's true and what's untrue. And she says we need a guide like this for for these kind of anonymous stories. So here it turns out, she says, we can keep many of the tips. In the immediate aftermath of a, a big event, news outlets will get it wrong. Don't trust anonymous sources. If democracy dies in darkness, anonymity is not exactly transparent or accountable unless someone is willing to put his or her name with a leak, be on guard. If someone is leaking national security information in order to support the claim of a national security violation, be on guard. If someone is claiming a serious national security crisis but not willing to go public with the claim and resign in protest, be on guard. Compare sources willing to put their name and reputation on the line. Big anti-Trump news brings out the fakers. Pay attention to the language that the media uses. Is a story about 
about something unimportant being written in such a way as to make it seem more important. <coughs> Beware confirmation bias. Everyone has the tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation of one's existing beliefs or theories. Be on guard that you don't accept critical or exonerating evidence to match your political preferences. Pay attention to how quickly and fully editors and reporters correct stories based on false information from anonymous sources. If they don't correct at all, it's an indication of a lack of respect. This is important stuff. I mean, we have to learn to read the news in an era when the president is under siege. And it has nothing to do with whether we agree with what he's doing, whether he's competent, whether he's good, whether he's nice, whether he's friendly. It has none of that stuff. What Tucker Carlson said to, this, to Senator Manchin is exactly right. Who cares if these people like him or not? What are they up to and what are they doing? I think it's a danger to the state. And I do not think anything that I've heard about Trump presents any kind of a danger so far to the state unless the most outlandish stories about him are true. That's why I said yesterday, if my worst fears about Trump had been confirmed and he turned out to be an authoritarian, turned out to be Hitler, then I would say, okay, you know, all bets are off. We got to get this guy out of office, even if they go in and carry him out the door. But that's not what's happening. That is not what's happening. And to celebrate that, the, the, uh, the siege, this attack, on a duly elected president is a mistake. It's it's not an honorable thing to do. It's not the right thing to do. The mailbag. <laughs> <laughs> I always forget that. All right. Uh, from Matt to he whose <laughs> to he whose head shimmers with the gleam of a thousand suns <laughs> uh, is Marxist slash postmodernist thought strong enough of an intellectual force to resist the Islamification of the West? No, it's not. That's an easy question. Thank you very much. I like the easy ones. They're easy to field. Of course it's not. You know, this is, this is the false, this is the mistake of the West. After, really it was after the 30 years war, this is going back, the peace of Westphalia, is when the West started to realize that theocracy was not going to work and we needed to separate church and state. That's really where a lot of that comes from, although, of course, you can trace it back to Jesus saying uh, the things of Caesar, let's give the things of Caesar to Caesar and give the things of God to God. So it is actually good Christian doctrine to separate church and state. It's not good Islamic doctrine. The Islam very particularly believes in theocracy, and that is in the book, okay? The mistake that you make when you have a secular state is that it's a secular world, is that the state is then supposed to be, the state is then the font of truth, the font of morality, the font of virtue. You are the font of truth, morality, and virtue. God, God is the font of truth. Forgive me. God is the font of truth. You are the font of your own virtue. The state cannot legislate your virtue. So when I say the state shouldn't legislate sexuality, that doesn't mean that you should go out and do stupid things with your body that degrade you and the person you're with. That's, those are two different things, right? The fact that there is a secular state tends to breed secularism. It tends to breed secularism because all philosophies go to the extreme. Secularism is not going to satisfy human nature. We are made by God. We are made for God. Without God, we will not succeed. We will not live. We cannot have joy. And when someone comes along and offers you bad God instead of no God, bad God will win. That is the reason. That's the reason why these guys are so seductive. You know, you come in and you say, what have these guys ever done besides kill people and oppress women and rape and, and justify the most horrid crimes? What have they ever done in the name of their God that was worthwhile? These, these 
Islamist dudes, you know. Why? What's appealing about that? Well, it's more appealing than trash and parades in which you go down the street half naked and believing in nothing but your own body and your own uh, material dreams and your own the dreams of your flesh and the desires of your flesh. It's actually better than that. It's actually better than that. The only thing that stands up against it is true God, the right God, the real God, you know. And and look, this is not this is not saying that Christianity for all, although I think that would be a great world. I think we'd all be a lot better off. That's not the point. You can find the God of love in all kinds of different religions, and I'm, I'm not going to nitpick about it. Obviously, I believe one of those religions and only one of them is true, but I'll settle for the God of love if you call him Mel. I don't care what you call him. Call him Morris. You know, it doesn't matter. I will settle for that God. But only good God can defeat bad God. No God loses. It will lose every single time. It may take a generation, may take 70 years, but it will lose every single time. All right. Uh, From Victor. Good day, Supreme Leader Clavin. Thank you for that. Which of the four sets of Ten Commandments defines Judeo-Christian values? Isn't the Constitution more aligned with Lockean theory and other Western philosophers than with the Bible? Thanks, Victor. Actually, I can't give the right answer to the wrong question. Um, First of all, if you read Locke, you know, most people haven't read Locke. He relies on the Bible a lot for his... uh, for his ideas of virtue and his ideas of what's right. So Locke himself relies on the Bible. And the question is kind of like these questions about whether or not um, whether or not the founders were Christians. Some of them were deists. You know, were they Christians? Is this not a Christian country if they were deists? That is totally beside the point. The point is our entire society, the entire West, which used to be called Christendom, was shaped, molded, formed in its infancy by Christian values. Everything that happened, in if you look back at history, even as history begins to secularize, it secularizes in terms of Christian values. Look back at the philosophers who had to deal with the fact that the old religion was dying because of new science and new ideas that were coming in. And, and the old way, you know, when, when you're a child, you speak as a child. But as our civilization grew up, our childish religion, uh, the childish aspects of our religion had to be put away and we had to become adult religious people. And so philosophers came along like Immanuel Kant. And if you read Kant, what he is doing is he is preserving Christian values in a philosophical way. You know, it's, it's not that... It's not that Christianity uh, shapes our Constitution, like somebody said, let me read the Bible with one hand and write the Constitution with the other. It is that every single mind in the West is shaped by the Gospels, every single one, yours, mine, everybody's. And if you lose that bottom block of the Jenga tower, my question is, does the Jenga tower fall? And I think it does, you know, and I think that there is a reason to go back. A lot of a lot of philosophers, a lot of thinking people are finding this in the West now. Very highly intellectual people are saying, yes, you know, we have to call ourselves Christians, even if we can't believe, because a lot of these people, a lot of these intellectuals are so trained to non-belief, they can't break through to belief, which is why they should read my book, by the way. <laughs> the great good thing, they should read the great good thing. Um, so that's it. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's not a question. Lockean, it may be based on Lockean theory, our constitution, but Lockean theory is imbued with the Gospels, as is all Western philosophy after Christ. From Jonathan, can we see a picture of you with hair? <laughs> yes, you can. Here it is. There's a picture of me. <laughs> that's, that's my author photo from my first novel, uh, Face of the Earth, 
God, I was young. I would, I would, I would not be that man again, but I would take his body back, I think. I, I would not be. There it is. And I had a lot of hair, right? I, I had a beard for most of my life, and it was only when it started to uh, get gray that I just thought, I'm, you know, I'm not ready to be the guy with the gray beard. You know, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to be a guy. Um, can we do one more? Uh, it's getting late. Um, let's see. You know what? I think I will stop there and we will deal with more next time. So get it, so subscribe to thedailywire.com and you can be in the mailbag. Answer the questions, ask personal questions. We have solved personal relationships. We've brought God into people's lives. We will solve your problems and change your life potentially for the better. Stuff <laughs> there, she, there she is again. My God, who was that woman? Uh, stuff I like. Silicon Valley. You know, Shapiro and I was just talking about this, and I think he did it on his show, Silicon Valley, as well. Well, he's right. <laughs> I don't often say this, and don't and don't tell Ben I said that. But but it is it is a great show. I've been watching it from the very beginning. I'm all caught up on it. I'm, I I actually like watch it as it comes on the air. My wife and I watch it. It is it's hilarious, and it is a great depiction of capitalism and all its beauty and craziness. And it is also a takedown of the virtue posturing of the Silicon Valley millionaires because billionaires because everybody in it all the silicon all the guys who represent like the Google guy and all this stuff they all are so full of how they're going to change the world but when it gets down to it they are just dirty down you know rotten businessmen like all these guys you know they they just want their bill there's one scene I didn't bring any scenes because all of them they're they're hilarious but they're just so the language is just uh, it's too thick to really play. You wouldn't get the joke. The language is very, very thick. And uh, th- there's one scene where a guy is, the guy who runs Hooli, which is kind of like Google in it, he gets hit by a protester and he comes in and he's talking to his board and he says, you know, in the old days, they would have just killed a guy like that. We can't do that anymore. Can we? <laughs> so anyway, it's a great cast. It's by Mike Judge, who's very talented. Great cast. Uh, Thomas Middleditch. They're all, I think what they're all are is stand-up comics who knew one another. So they really uh, act well together and they really play off each other well. And some of it looks like it's ad-lib, but just a really, really funny show. If both I and Shapiro like the show, it's got to be good, right? So I just, I just really wanted to bring it up because I was talking yesterday about um, the founder which is also a really good movie about capitalism, and Lion, which I want to recommend again, which is not a movie about capitalism, though it has one little line that sort of passes in the back that sort of praises capitalism, and the guy who wrote it, the guy whose life it's based on, is a businessman. Uh, good stuff that we were recommending. I'm only rec- I was only recommending modern stuff to this week. Tomorrow we will be back again. That's it. We will be back again. That was the mailbag. I always love doing the mailbag. Get your questions in early and often, and we will try and answer them. We'll be back in tomorrow. Emily, who, who have we got tomorrow? Uh, we have Dr. Michael Akkad. Dr. Michael Akkad, who's going to talk to us about healthcare. He is an opponent of healthcare and is going to make that argument, which definitely, uh, he's an a opponent of state uh, healthcare, and that argument definitely needs to be made. We will talk to him tomorrow, and we will talk to you tomorrow. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show.